Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Hope at Crossroads. We're here to serve you in any way that we can. For more information about our resources or our church, you can check out hope at crossroads.org. Online, you can find access to other resources like devotionals and study books. Thanks again for joining us. And now let's start this week's message. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, help us to remember that the lyrics we sing are true. If they come from your word, your love never fails. Father, your word tells us that nothing, no one, no thing can pluck us from your hand. Lord, we're so thankful that that's true. Lord, help us to remember these truths, especially in our time of worship. Father, we just pray that the truth of your word would also resonate with our hearts today as Jack continues through Hebrews chapter 7. Father, would that truth penetrate and pierce our hearts? We just pray for your blessing. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 If you have been blessed uh, by uh, my friends Will and Bethany, Uh, Crosby being here with us the last few weeks. Can we just thank them? Thank you, sir. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for leading us into the presence of the Lord. If you've got your Bible, Hebrews chapter 7, while you're turning there, Hebrews chapter 7. Bethany uh, was in a youth group where Lynette and I served in Union, South Carolina at Tabernacle Baptist for several years. And uh, that was, we won't say how many years ago that was for both of our benefit. It was several years ago. And uh, wow, it has been amazing to get uh, reconnected. I don't know that we ever got disconnected, but uh, to have them in our church and to see uh, the godly young lady and young man that both she and Will have become is a testimony to what God can do and how powerful his love is. And uh, I, I hope that uh, sometimes when we, to, to Will's point in prayer, sometimes when we sing these songs, I hope you get in the car and the lyrics are kind of on repeat in your brain. That's a good thing. That's a good thing because we have uh, constantly in the world a different message that's coming at us from every direction uh, to convince us that God's love is not real and not true and not powerful. So Hebrews chapter 7, while you're hopefully there, uh, let me remind you about who the writer of Hebrews is writing to. We don't know who the author is. A lot of people say it could be potentially Paul. A lot of Hebrews sounds like it's Paul, but we don't know for sure that it's Paul. But the Christians that the writer is writing to, uh, keep in mind, are from a Jewish background. So they have just begun to put their faith in Jesus. Some of them are interested in Jesus. Some of them are curious about who this Jesus is. They haven't totally bought into everything about Jesus. They haven't left their Jewish heritage and totally uh, bought into the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, It's much like 2023. We have people who are totally sold on who Jesus is. We have people who are investigating who Jesus is. We have some people who are kind of sticking their toe in the shallow end, kind of, so to speak, spiritually. That's a lot like the culture at the time. But here's what's interesting about these people. A lot of them are really interested in accepting the fact that Jesus could be their high priest. And you've heard that term used several times 
by the writer of Hebrews up to this point, up to chapter 7. But a lot of them intellectually could not connect the dots and believe that Jesus could be the high priest because Jesus did not come from the priestly tribe, the tribe of Levi, or the priestly family that was in that tribe, the family of Aaron, Moses, and the heritage of some of those early Old Testament people that you probably have heard of before. Because Jesus was from what tribe? Judah. A couple of you know that. That's good to know. Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. So when the author starts writing this letter to the people saying, Jesus can be your high priest, as much as they wanted to believe and accept that, intellectually they had this disconnect. Now let me just give you an example of how that happens even in our culture, because intellectual hang-ups can keep us from growing in maturity in Christ. Some of us have intellectual hang-ups with the creation of the world. And how do we rationalize creation and evolution? Or do we rationalize them? How do they connect? If you were here when we went through the book of Genesis, then hopefully you came to a conclusion. If not, you can, you can uh, check out the podcast. That audio is still available uh, on Spotify, on the website, on Apple Music, all those things. If you, if you, if you uh, don't have all those things, then I'm sure we can get a CD burned for you on that. But that's one of the intellectual hang-ups that people today have. They have hang-ups about, okay, did Jesus really uh, rise from the dead? We believe he was a good teacher. We believe maybe he, even, he was the Messiah. We believe maybe even he died on the cross. But did he really rise from the dead or not? These are intellectual things that we sometimes struggle with. And until you process through those, uh, either intellectually or intellectually combined with your faith, uh, you're not going to be able to move on in your, in your relationship with Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews, the reason I'm telling you all this is because the writer of Hebrews understood that. He understood the audience to whom he was writing. And he wanted to make sure that they could continue in their journey with Jesus. So he addressed the very stumbling block for them in chapter 7, which was this idea of uh, high priest. So let's start together. And I'll probably, for the sake of time this morning, stop along the way and make some of these points. So let's look at it. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth part of all the spoils, was first of all, by the translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, which is king of peace. A lot of times you'll see in Scripture, King of, king of Salem. Salem was another uh, word sometimes interchanged with Jerusalem. Salem also means peace, which is why they said King of Salem. He says King of Salem, King of Peace. Verse 3, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, he abides a priest perpetually. So the writer is trying to kind of compare Jesus to Melchizedek. And it's not that Melchizedek was born without a mother or father. There's just not a lot in the scripture uh, and a lot historically that we know about him. So it was kind of a mystery. So he's not saying that Melchizedek was, uh, you know, didn't have a mom or dad. He's just saying it's kind of mysterious. As a matter of fact, there's, there's not a lot said about Melchizedek in the Bible. If you want to flip back to the book of Genesis real quick, I'll just kind of show you Genesis chapter 14. That's the first book in the Bible. If you have a Bible like mine, it's the first book in the Bible period. Some of you kind of, you know, 
Some of y'all are waking up a little bit, had a rough weekend, I understand. Genesis chapter 14. These are, these are the few verses where we hear about this king of Salem, king of peace, king of righteousness of the Old Testament, Melchizedek. Genesis chapter 14, verse 18 says, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of the God Most High. And he blessed him, that's Abram, and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him, that's Abram he's talking about, gave him a tenth of all. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give the people to me and take the goods for yourself. So there's this conversation happening between Abram, between the king of Salem, Melchizedek, and the king of Sodom. If you remember, let's kind of test your Bible history here, you remember what what happened to Abram that caused him to go in and wage war against this particular area? Who was captured? Who was kidnapped? Lot. His nephew Lot was kidnapped. Held captive. So he goes down to wage war. He wins. And as a result of winning, King Melchizedek comes out and rewards him. So outside of those few verses, I wish we had more. This is one of one million questions when I play Q&A with King Jesus and I get to heaven. This is one of those one million questions I will be asking the Lord. Tell me about this. Uh, Of course, I won't have to ask him because he'll probably be in heaven too. I'll just say, Melchizedek, tell me about yourself. Have a little interview process. So let's continue to read verse 4. Now observe how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the choicest spoils. And those indeed of the sons of Levi who received the priest office have commandment in the law to collect the tenth from the people, that is from their brethren, although these are descended from Abraham. But the one whose genealogy is not traced from them collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed the one who had the promises. But without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. In other words, he's saying in this case, King Melchizedek blessed Abram, came out and blessed him. And that situation was greater for the moment. Verse 8, And in this case, mortal men receive tithes, but in that case, no one receives them, of whom it is witnessed that he lives on. And so to speak, though Abraham, even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Verse 11, If perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, now he said everything he said, which I know is a little confusing maybe, to get to verse 11, To make a point. And here's his point. If, he says, verse 11. Perfection was through the Levitical priesthood. For on the basis of it the people received the law. What further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek. And not be designated according to the order of Aaron. For when the priesthood is changed of necessity there takes place a change of law also. For the one concerning whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no one has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, a tribe with reference to which Moses spoke nothing concerning priests. And if this is clearer still, if another priest arises according to the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become such not on the basis of a law, a physical requirement, but according to the power of an indestructible life, For it is witnessed of him, thou art a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. You're saying, Pastor Jack, please, what in the world is he trying to say? There's there's a lot there, more than we can cover in the next hour and 15 minutes. I'm just kidding. 
What he's trying to say is, he's comparing again Melchizedek to Jesus and saying, Melchizedek, there's some similarities. We don't know a lot about his history. We don't know a lot about his mom and dad. We don't know a lot about where he came from. But one thing is certain, now we're talking about a king that we do know some things about. And ultimately, here's what he's saying. This is the first point. Jesus, the high priest, is eternal. He goes through these things saying that at some point, Melchizedek died. At some point, the earthly priests that were set up to reign passed away. They died. There's only one king that will be eternal, and he's saying Jesus Christ is that king. He is the high priest. He is the infinite, indestructible, incontestable one that will live forever and ever. And it can only be said of Jesus. It can never be said of another priest from other priesthood, from other lineage, like even like Aaron, because none of them had the power to live an endless life. They only could serve according to their lifespan. Let that sink in. Do do you and I understand that Jesus Christ is here forever and ever and ever and ever and ever? And just repeat that a couple million times and we won't even be scratching the surface of forever that Jesus is going to be here. He's indestructible. You think about it, Matthew chapter 27, when morning came and the chief priests and elders, check it out sometime, Matthew 27, if you want to make a little note on your outline. When they came, the priests and the elders came to Jesus and they plotted to put him to death. Some of the priests that were a part of that uh, scene in the Bible were priests of the order of Aaron. And they thought if we can come kind of kill this earthly king... This earthly priest, they thought Jesus' reign was going to be limited to just his entourage of disciples following him around. If we can cut him off and kill him, his reign will end. You and I know they killed him and his reign did not end. He rose from the dead and his reign continues right now today in 2023. He's immortal. He's indestructible. He has an endless life and the fact that the writer of Hebrews is trying to educate these Jewish folks and say... Jesus Christ, his life will never end. I don't know about you, it's hard for me. It hurts, it really hurts up here when I try to think about something that never ends. Never ends. 50 years, nope, never ends. 60, 70, 100, 200, 1,000, 2,000, 10,000, 100,000. Never, ever, ever, ever ends. Whew, it hurts. I need some Tylenol. I cannot process that. I don't know many things that never end. I, I saw this article this past week. Some of you maybe will appreciate this. Some of you may change your fast food uh, choice options because I saw that uh, a guy named David Whipple in July. Uh, this kind of came up on my timeline for some reason because back in July in 1999, how long ago was that? 24 years ago. Swung through the drive through of his local I won't say the name because I don't want to get sued. It's the yellow arch has it. It's the yellow arch. He swung through the drive-thru. He ordered a hamburger. His aim was to demonstrate how long the hamburger would last. A demonstration of all the, all the enzymes and chemicals. And he stuck it in his coat pocket, long forgetting. And it is still alive today, 24 years later. And it still actually looks like he swung through the drive-thru yesterday and picked it up. That's a long time. It's not as long as forever. Jesus Christ, 
our high priest is eternal. and He'll be here forever. And so he goes on to say, why is that important? Verse 18, on the one hand, there's a setting aside of a former commandment because of its weakness and uselessness. Some of your translations may have a better word there. I've got the New American Standard. Most of the time, just so you know, uh, the New American Standard is most close to the uh, Greek in the New Testament. But on this case, I'm, I'm kind of curious. Some translations have the word annulled. For on the one hand, there's a setting aside of a former commandment because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there's a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Verse 20, and as much as it was not without an oath, for they indeed became priests without an oath. There was no oath, there was no promise to become a priest. How did they become a priest? Anybody know? Anybody remember? Most of the time it was heredity. It was who you knew. You just stepped up. Okay, so-and-so died, you're up to bat. You just stepped in, the, in line. God didn't do that. God chose a high priest based on the promise of who he was, the promise of his word. And so he says, Inasmuch as it was not without an oath, verse 21, For they indeed became priests without an oath. But he, the Lord God, with an oath through the one who said to him, God said this of Jesus, The Lord has sworn, and he will not change his mind. Thou art a priest forever. So much the more also Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. And the former priest, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. They had to have a lot of priests. Because one would die, and they had to get another one in line, and another one, because they would keep dying. But, verse 24, but he, on the other hand, because he abides forever, holds his priesthood permanently. So let's stop right there just a second. Verse 18, there is a setting aside of a former commandment. Some translations, again, say annulled. I, I actually think that's a better word. The old law, the old law that people were living under, that, that the Old Testament people lived under, we're in the new covenant. It's amazing to me how many Christians still want to live in the Old Covenant. Folks, we're not in the Old Covenant. We don't live according to the law anymore. We live because of the grace of Jesus Christ. If we could have lived and done everything that God's Word says in the Old Testament people were to do, then the cross is insignificant and not needed. And that's what the writer is trying to emphasize. You cannot live according to the law. That's why when Jesus came to our high priest, he annulled. He made obsolete, he fulfilled the Old Testament rules and regulations. I had a friend of mine, he was, I think he maybe was 19. He was in our youth group at the time. He'd gone off the deep end in his relationship with the Lord. He found this girl, he decided he was going to get married. His mom and dad, I'm like maybe 22 I think. His mom and dad called me and said, he's going down to the courthouse to get married. Can you go down there and intervene? I'm 22. I'm like, what am I going to do? He's 19. He's decided he's going to get married. What am I going to do? So I go down to the courthouse, you know, trying to find them. This is in Spartanburg. Fi finally find where they're at. I can tell we're about to get in a heated debate. He's made up his mind. He's pretty much going to do it just to spite his mom and dad just because he's so angry. He's going he's to get married to this girl he hardly knows. Uh, he was supposedly thinking about ministry. I mean, I could go on and on. He's standing there. He slips out, she slips out. I don't, know, I don't know where they were going. 
the clerk comes in, there's the counter right there on the bulletin board with little punch pens. There's all these marriage licenses of, of uh, marriages that are going to be performed later that afternoon by the judge. And she and I start striking up this conversation. Why are you here? I said, well, I'm here. You know, His mom and dad don't want him to get married. He really doesn't need to be getting married. I'm just his friend. I love him. He's getting ready to... And she just goes, huh. We have a lot of marriages lined up today. I said, really? She said, yeah. And all the licenses are right here on the bulletin board. And she walks out of the room. <laughs> As if to say, if you want to do something about it, there are all the marriage licenses right there. I'm going to walk away for just a little while. So I'm looking, thinking, okay, do I hop over the counter and do I grab that marriage license and destroy it or what do I do? So I'm, 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 I'm looking and I'm leaning and I'm looking to see if he's coming and I'm looking to make sure there's not, I mean, it hasn't changed much. There's security guys and officers walking around and I'm thinking, do I do it? Do I do? And I'm going back and forth and... Some of you want the story to be, I jumped over it and I tried to get it and I was arrested. That didn't happen. Uh, uh, thought about it, thought about it. Anyway, I, I kept kind of lurching and I was just about to do it. And every time somebody would pass by, it didn't happen. Long story short, they wound up getting married. And they left. And I remember sitting in that room, uh, weeping because I thought, you know, not, not that God can't, God can work through anything. And God can solve any problem even after we've messed up. That's, that's not the point. But I thought, what do I do? And I, I was sitting in that chair crying. And she said, well, if you, 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 it's not too late. You still can do something about it. You still can have it annulled. And she began to outline, here's what you need to do. Before the end of the day, before they go off, before they go out of town, honeymoon or whatever they're playing, before they get gone, if you do this, this, and this and bring it back to the judge, you can get it annulled. As if to say, you can make this look like it never, ever happened. Folks, that's exactly what Jesus the high priest did for us. Because he came and he gave his life on the cross, he annulled all of our sins. When Jesus looks at you, he looks at you as if it never happened. All the sin in your life and all the sin in my life, he looks at us as if it had never happened. We miss, we miss, uh, explain incorrectly sometimes when we say this big church word, justification, just as if I never sinned. That's only half of the picture of justification when you come to Christ. It's not just as if you never sinned and all of it is annulled. It's just as if you did everything right when God Almighty from high looks at you because of the blood of Jesus. He looks at you as perfect, sinless, above reproach, holy, blameless because of the blood of Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. Because I am not that way <laughs> in and of myself. And that is what the writer is trying to get them to explain. There is no priest, no human priest up to this point in time, he's trying to say people, that could do this. Because they all were earthly men. They all died. But there has been an annulling of the former commandment. The law, he says, was not perfect. The law didn't make anything perfect. There is the bringing of a better hope, he says, through which we draw near to God that brings about perfection, and it's Jesus Christ. 
It's interesting, he, he kind of comes to the same conclusion that Paul comes to in Galatians chapter 3, if you want to jot that down and read it sometimes. Paul gets there a totally different way. Paul in Galatians talks about how the law was kind of like a tutor showing us and teaching us that the law was not, was not going to help us be holy. That only Jesus and the blood of Christ was going to help us be holy. And so in Hebrews, what the writer is saying is, this priesthood of the past is obsolete now because of a superior priesthood. And why is that important? Here's why it's important. This is the second point. All that happens because Jesus was made a high priest by the promise of God, by an oath of God. God, before the foundation of the world, before you and I were even a a flicker in our mom and dad's eye, a glimmer in our mom and dad's eye, before the foundation of the world, before the creation of the world, God had already planned by his word that Jesus Christ would be a priest forever. Much like Psalm 110 also says, much like the order of Melchizedek. That's why he's kind of referring to Melchizedek. Not appointed like a priest of the order of Aaron, not by heredity, but by God. God sealed this by an oath. So here's, here's my question I wrote down for me. Am I, am I a Christian by heredity? Am I a Christian? Do I come to church? Am I a Christian because my mom and daddy did? Am I a Christian just because, well, that's, I, I grew up in a Christian nation? How am I a Christian? I'm a Christian when I choose to believe and put my faith and trust in the promise of God Almighty that he gave his life for me and when I repent of my sins, he takes my sins and he casts them as far as the east is from the west and when I place my trust in him and confess him, I'll be saved. It's by promise of his word. So he goes on to say this, verse 22. So much the more also Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Now some translations use a better word there. Some translations use the word surety. Surety. What is a surety? Surety is like co-signing a loan. Or co-signing some document to guarantee payment. It's almost like someone who puts up bail for a prisoner. Surety. I remember, gosh, I'm having flashbacks this morning. I was in my early 20s. Same place, growing up in Spartanburg. There was a young guy who dropped into town. He was about 18 years old. No mom, no dad. He was kind of just, you know, on the streets. Wind up at our church. Wind up at our youth group. Uh... Got a job working for somebody in our church. Started seeming like he was getting his life together. He was going to move into his own place. Had his money saved for his rent. And he came to me and he said, uh, Jack, I have one problem. I've never had power before in my name. Would you, uh, would you sign for me to get power? Would you be the surety? Would you be the guarantee for me to be able to get my power turned on? Oh, my smarter friends than me, what did they tell me? Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. But what did I do? I was young, I was naive, I had a heart bigger than my brain. And I was like, no, he's trying to get on his feet, I will go do it. So first month came and went and the power bill was due. And... uh, Power bill came and went due, and the power company called me and said, Hey, I see your name is on this thing. Are you going to take care of this? And I was like, Ay, 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 ay. 
Long story short, I did. I wound up having to take care of it. What is surety? Jesus is our guarantee. He is our surety. The fact that we know that we're going to go to heaven, the fact that we know we have eternal life is not some 50-50 shot. It's based on the stock market. It's based on the interest rate. Well, I hope so. I might. Maybe. No. Surety is because Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead. I am for sure, 100% money back guarantee going to heaven, spend eternity with him because he's the high priest. Hopefully he's your high priest. That's what he's talking about when he says surety. What's even better, that the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, he said, had a, had a mediator, Moses, he mentions. But there was no guarantee on the people's side of the covenant. But the New Covenant, he says, the, guaran- the guarantee, the guarantor, is Jesus Christ. And then he says this, verse 25, as we wrap up. Hence also he, this is Jesus, is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sin and then for the sins of the people, because he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak. But the word of the oath which comes after the law appoints a son made perfect forever. What's he saying? Verse 25, he kind of summarizes it. Some translations say it this way. He saves forever. This is the last point. Jesus saves forever. Our high priest saves forever. Our saves to the uttermost. The fact that Jesus is unchanging, he's permanent and secure, means Jesus Christ saves not from the uttermost. Some of us read that and we read from the uttermost. He saves from the uttermost, absolutely, from the uttermost. If we had time and we need to get back to this church, that we could just have people kind of come up across the platform and the podium and talk about what Jesus saved them from, We'd be up here for days and weeks and months talking about all the incredible things Jesus saved us from. But what the writer here says is Jesus is able to save us to the uttermost, which means because Jesus is our high priest forever, he can save forever. What he's talking about, and we talked about this a little bit last week, I believe, is he is showing the place of abiding in the security of the believer That because Jesus is our high priest and we don't have to, Jesus doesn't have to go atone for sins over and over and over every year, every year, bring an animal, bring a sacrifice. Jesus does does not have to do that. We can have complete security in our salvation if we've placed our trust in Jesus to know if we were sincere, if we were honest, and we truly placed our trust in Jesus, nothing can take you out of God's hands. Nothing. Not because of you, because of him. And Jesus, there's complete security of our salvation. He's holy, he's innocent. How in the world can Jesus do that? Two quick things and we're done. Here's how he does it. Two facts prove the perfect character of Jesus Christ. 
If you're ever asked this by some of your friends who are doubting that Jesus is the high priest and Jesus is the only way to heaven and Jesus is the eternal one, if you ever ask or ask questions, and I'm asked questions often by people who wonder, there's two facts that prove the perfect character of Jesus. Here's the first one. First is, he is the only priest that was exalted to heaven. Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of God. There's no other priest sitting at the right hand of God. Nobody, no other priest has that authority except for Jesus Christ. The second thing that we can say about that is Jesus did not need to offer up sacrifices. Every other priest that offered up sacrifices had to offer sacrifices for himself because there were no sinless priests. There's no sinless preacher either. There's no sinless pastor. And we can share together, and I'm happy to do that, but by the power of Jesus Christ and because of what he did, you don't need a priest anymore. You can go directly to God Almighty and talk to God Almighty. Jesus did not have to atone for his own sins, which the other priests had to do every day, by the way. How did he do that? Because it says, at the end of verse 27, because he offered up himself. Totally unique. See, a priest, when they went into the altar, they brought their sacrifice, which was usually an animal. They brought something with them. When Jesus, when it was time for the sacrifice for Jesus, our high priest, Jesus said, no, no, no animals. Me. Spotless Lamb of God. Wow. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. If you placed your trust in that, that was the best sacrifice according to God's word. That was the best sacrifice that could ever be given. Matter of fact, John's gospel says it this way. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only, some translations say begotten, some translations say one, only, unique, nobody else like him, Son of God, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Church, where are you this morning? You placed your trust in that, in that high priest, the one who lives forever, the one that God promised in his word, the one that's proven himself on the cross and raised from the dead, the one that will save to the uttermost. I sure hope so. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, that you are our high priest. There is none like you. You are indestructible. You are infinite. You are amazing. You save to the uttermost. Lord, I pray this morning that if there's anyone in this room that's not surrendered their life to that Jesus, Lord, that today they would do that. Lord, maybe there might be one, I don't know, who thinks, well, my mom and dad, they were believers, so I'm a believer. They grew up at Crossroads, so I'm here at Crossroads, and I know Jesus. Maybe. But friend, if you've ne never really truly surrendered and placed your trust in Jesus, that's the one thing you've got to do to know him as your high priest and have eternal life. 
So in just a minute, we're going to stand. Will and Bethany are going to lead us in a closing song this morning. And as they do, if you need to do business with the Lord, I, I pray you do that today. For a lot of us, it may just be to offer up a prayer of thanksgiving and say, Thank you, thank you, Lord. No longer do we have to sacrifice and bring atonement for sin because the debt has been paid. Jesus paid it all. We, we actually sung that this morning. You paid it all, Lord. If that's a cry of your heart, in just a minute, my friend Heath will be here, our teaching pastor and student pastor, our worship intern Stephen will be here at the front. We'd love to pray with you, encourage you. Maybe you just say, you know what, I, I just need to pray at the altar myself. That's fine. Or grab a friend or a loved one, spouse, child, parent. Do business with the Lord today. Father, I pray this morning that you would have your way as you speak to our hearts. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for the reminder of what you did on the cross. Thank you, Lord, that you, because of what you did on the cross, we can boldly, your word says, boldly approach your throne of grace, not because of who we are, but because of who we know. If we know Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Have your way during this invitation. We'll give you the glory for what you're going to do today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church family. If you'll stand with me, Will and Bethany are going to lead us in a song, a closing song, invitation song. If you need to respond this morning, we'll be here at the front. Love to pray with you and encourage you today as we sing I Surrender All. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Hope at Crossroads. We're so glad that you joined us for the message today. If Pastor Jack or any of our team can serve you, please reach out to us. You can send us an email at jack at hope at crossroads.org or by visiting our website. We would be most grateful to know where you are listening because we have people all over the world listening to our podcast. You can send us a message through our website. We would appreciate your prayers for us as we are in the midst of a building campaign to reach more children and families in our local community in Greenville County, South Carolina. If you would like to help, you can always make your gift online at our website, hope at crossroads.org. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Hope at Crossroads.